This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Welcome to today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the National Pork Board. Request your free on-farm sustainability report at porkcheckoff.org front slash sustainability. Today I'm visiting with Brian Kuehl. He is a second timer on the show now because since our last interview, I also learned that he was the executive director, is, excuse me, the executive director for Farmers for Free Trade. And so I wanted to focus my interview today to learn more about this organization. So Brian, thank you again for joining me. Oh, absolutely, Lori, and thanks for having me on. I I like to joke I have to wear many hats because I have so little hair. So I, <laughs> I, I serve as executive director of the Agriculture <sighs> Trade Education Council and then also Farmers for Free Trade. And then I run uh, government and public affairs for Keiko ISM, which is a, a ag business advisory firm. Uh, so every everything ag. And they all tie in together, don't they? They sure do. Yeah. And that's the beauty of of this industry and getting to know people like you, learning more about what all you're doing. It leads to these other conversations and other um, opportunities that we have with one another to visit, to educate, to meet common goals and just, you know, network. So thank you for joining me again for our interview. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. And thanks for all that you do. I think these kind of conversations are really important. I do, too. Farmers for Free Trade. Tell me about this organization. I was scouting on your website a little bit before we got started. It is a nonprofit. It is. Uh, it's a nonprofit that uh, was founded in 2017. And its mission is to advocate for trade agreements uh, that are good for U.S. agriculture. So trying to improve our ability to export products overseas. That's the primary focus. And uh, in the last well, however many years we've been going now, five, four years, um, Farmers for Free Trade's just, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, we've worked as a, uh, as we're an umbrella organization for U.S. agriculture. So corn and soybeans and pork and uh, and uh, John Deere and CoBank, sort of a big umbrella of organizations that have been members. And we've done a whole number of things, um, campaigns around the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, trying to get Congress to pass that agreement, where I think we really did help move the needle and get that one done. Um, and now we're sponsoring a series of town hall events focusing on the need to improve uh, market access for U.S. ag products overseas. Brian, how do you determine what you work on then? Sure. So we have our governance, governance structure. We have a uh, board of directors um, and the board of directors gives us overall direction. But then we also have a steering committee and the steering committee is basically the full membership of Farmers for Free Trade. Um, and so, again, that represents corn and soybeans, pork, uh, dairy, um, uh, tractors, finance, uh, distilled spirits. It's a pretty big umbrella of organizations. And those folks come together every two weeks. We do a call and we talk about what the goals are for our effort and where we want to put our energy. And right now, our primary goal is to really encourage the Biden administration to lean into opening new markets for U.S. ag products. So we just feel that other countries are cutting deals and, and we need to get off the sidelines and get into the game. What other organizations do you then work with to achieve those goals and work on those goals? Uh, well, quite a number. So National Corn Growers Association is a member, uh, National Milk Producers Federation, uh, National uh, 
pork producers. Um, so each of the, the main commodity groups we work very closely with um, and often we'll co-sponsor events with them. Um, we tend to be, we're not focused so much in DC as sort of as lobbyists. We're more focused out in the heartland trying to engage farmers in support of these issues. So give you an example of one project we did that really got a little out of control, but we had fun with it. In, 20, uh, in 2019, we were uh, pushing to get Congress to pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. That was the update to NAFTA that President Trump had negotiated. And we wanted to get that deal through Congress, but Congress was kind of sitting on their hands. So Farmers for Free Trade, we decided uh, we needed to go go to the streets and get, get farmers engaged. So we, uh, we rented a, an RV and we uh, wrapped it in information about trade. And then we started driving that RV and we drove it through 30 states, 40,000 miles, 100 events. Uh, we had events with members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. We were at farm fairs and, or state fairs and farm conventions. Uh, we had people writing letters and signing banners. And then we culminated with a rally on the National Mall that had 20 members of Congress, again, both sides of the aisle coming out to show their support for, uh, for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And I really do think that that grassroots effort helped move the needle and get Congress to, to pass that bill. And that's, that's important because Mexico and Canada are our two largest trading partners, about $20 billion of exports each, each year of U.S. food and ag products. So we need to be able to sell our food products to uh, Mexico and Canada, and we're, we're pleased to have been able to help with that. Something like that, where it did go through, then do you do follow up work with that? Or, you know, what else do you do after it's passed or moved? Uh, we do. Uh, so as, as you may know, there have been ongoing challenges with Mexico around, uh, are they going to accept GMO corn? And there's, there's certain uh, pesticides that they've had concerns with. So we'll stay engaged. Sometimes we'll coordinate letters on particular topics or we'll host, uh, host events. Um, you know, during the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, we hosted a series of uh, press conferences, one in Mexico City and one up in Montreal, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we made uh, these ridiculously large, uh, here I'll just show you, we made these huge buttons. Uh, this one says, uh, I'm a farmer for USMCA, uh, if I can get these in, I'm a farmer for free trade. We made these up actually for that campaign in, in Spanish and in French so that when we went to Mexico and Canada, we had them in, in the appropriate languages. And um, uh, we've made, oh, I guess we've given out hundreds of thousands of those types of buttons all over the country, um, as well as bumper stickers. So you'll, you'll drive around farm country and you'll see people, you know, their, their grain truck with a Farmers for Free Trade bumper sticker on it. And that's when you know you're you're making a difference. This podcast will continue after a word from our sponsor. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and a planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, the National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase increase production efficiencies, and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org front slash sustainability. I know you mentioned you didn't do as much lobbying work, 
But it sounds like you are at least providing a lot of information. And even looking on your website, you have some graphics and some pictorials there to kind of help prove the points, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's about education and, and engagement of farmers and food and ag companies in support of a common goal. Um, and by not lobbying, what I mean is, you know, we don't have folks who are going on that on Capitol Hill, going to the different congressional offices. The, the national ag associations and many of the state associations do that really well. They have lobbyists who go and work on these issues. We felt like our niche was really trying to help engage farmers and ranchers in support of trade. And that's the political force that allows us to get these things done. Do you do much international travel yourself and, and working with some of the trade representatives from other countries? You know, we haven't done that much to date. And because of COVID, really, over the last two years, we haven't done much of travel at all. But but it's something I think we will do as the world opens back up. I mean, there are some very obvious countries where the U.S. should be more actively engaged. I'd put uh, Vietnam on that list, Indonesia, um, heck, the U.K., now that they've pulled out of the EU. Uh, India. And in each of those places, I think Farmers for Free Trade would really like to be encouraging this administration and future administrations uh, to engage, execute trade deals that will allow us to sell our food and ag products overseas. I realize COVID restrictions are out there and are probably going to be out there for a little while. But in general, even before that, or, or ongoing work that you're doing, what are some of the biggest barriers that you have or some of the biggest stumbling blocks that get in the way of accomplishing goals and getting more trade out there for farmers? Well, I think one of the biggest barriers is that there's a public perception that trade can be a bad thing. Um, and, and, and I understand that. I mean, when you look at trade, you can say, well, in some instances, we've had factories closed because of uh, uh, because of multiple causes. It might be partially because of trade. It might be because of uh, modernization or, or mechanization. But it's really easy to see a closed factory and, and feel bad about it, as you should. I mean, those are real people and real jobs and real communities. And so that's one side of the story. And, and I, I think we need to take it seriously and we need to be sympathetic to it. The problem is that the other side of the story often doesn't get told. I mean, it's hard to take a picture of a farm and say, this is what's at stake. This is why trade can be a good thing, because it's not one community. It's not one factory. It's, you know, it's workers spread all over this country. And so I think trying to tell the story that, you know, 20 percent of U.S. farm revenue uh, comes from food and ag exports. Uh, you think about that 20 percent of our livelihood. That's that's a lot for whether you're a rancher or a farmer. If we're not exporting food, uh, we're not making it in our business. Um, and we need to do a better job telling that story. And that's part of what we're trying to do. On your website, there's a page on there that has your different representatives from some of those groups that you mentioned, some of your member groups that say, that talk about why we need trade. So can you kind of paraphrase a few of those and, and tell us why do we need trade? Well, uh, again, I think the, the easiest way to think about it is think how many mouths there are outside of the United States. You know, when you think about our country, I mean, we're blessed with a lot of things. We're blessed with great farmland, with with incredible wealth, with a stable country, all of which allows us to grow food and be competitive. The one thing we don't have is a lot of people uh, compared to the rest of the world. I mean, there's 7 billion people in this world. 95% of them live outside the United States. 
So if we have a mentality that we're just going to grow food for ourselves, that's a pretty small market. Uh, in order for us to, to continue to grow agriculture and allow uh, our farm families to thrive, we need to be able to export food. Um, and that, that's why we need trade, that in a nutshell. One of the other questions I have, and you did talk a little bit about this and have kind of threaded it into this conversation, is really about the larger economic impact uh, for states, for the grassroots people, and just the general economy I know there's trade of other products, but agriculture is a big contributor. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, you think about when, when if, if a farmer is able to export their food, and a lot of times the farmer themselves don't, doesn't do the exporting. They may sell their grain to, a, to an elevator. The elevator may, may ship it out to the, the coast and sell it overseas. Um, but that farmer, that farmer raising their grain, the, the revenue that they produce from selling that grain. You know, that's supporting the local equipment dealer who's selling them a combine. It's supporting the manufacturer of, of grain uh, grain bins. It's supporting the local school district. I mean, farmers are paying property taxes and, and uh, sales taxes in a lot of states. Um, agriculture is the backbone of a lot of our rural communities. And, and if we have a healthy food and ag sector, uh, a lot of times that it trickles throughout those communities from the hardware store to the main street business. I think that is definitely an excellent point. Well said. Brian, what else would you like to point out that I haven't asked about or some, maybe some other information or something interesting sure. um, as we end our interview? Well, I think I, I would encourage people to go to farmersforfreetrade.com and uh, on farmersforfreetrade.com, they can uh, they can donate to the organization to support our efforts. Uh, they can also sign up for updates uh, so they can get uh, information. And we really try to engage people in these campaigns. So if folks are interested in writing letters or contacting their members of Congress, hearing when we're doing an event, uh, going to farmersforfreetrade.com is really a good place to start. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, my guest here today. I'm Lori Boyer. That wraps up today's interview. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen Podcast with your host, 